What is going on, guys? Welcome back to the Lions Blog Podcast. This is your host, Gavin. Coming to you a few days late, I was, for the first time in my life, ghosted. I was ghosted, people, by Adam. Adam, how could you do such a thing to me? Because I'm a horrible, horrible person. And I fell asleep last night before we were supposed to start recording. (laughs) How... How dare you? <laughs> How dare you sleep and I, and be tired instead of podcast about the Orlando City? I, you're right. Or just just the thought of Orlando City should fuel me at every juncture of my my eternal being. And I honestly don't know how it failed me. I mean, if there was one match to make you a little bit sleepy when you're thinking about Orlando City, it might have been this one. Um, no, all jokes aside, uh, we we had some scheduling issues both Monday and Tuesday night. So we are coming at you on a Wednesday night. Apologies for the delay. That's on us. Definitely. We're still planning on having episodes come out every Monday night um, for the rest of the season. Unless something like scheduling happens because, you know life i vow to never sleep again (laughs) brilliant love it um let's get into the chicago match and i think the best place to start is actually to get the ref talk out of the way first i feel like when you're talking about refs instead of having it dangle in the background while you try and discuss everything else it's good to get it out of the way um so first I know you had to rewatch the match and you were you were texting me kind of your live thoughts on how the referee was go how the refereeing was going um, before you finally got to the call. Uh, so just give me your your overall initial thoughts on the referee's performance, not even discussing the the call yet or the two calls I should say. So the first I it was obvious that this referee, he's a newer referee. I think it was his sixth or seventh game in MLS that this was. He obviously doesn't want to be that guy who's just pulling every foul, every card. And he's trying to be the let it play guy and he's doing it way too much. And that, which was kind of at odds with the later discussion that we'll have. Um, But like at a certain point, so you have that in the, I think, 12th or 13th minute, that Herbers foul that was a yellow card on, who was it? Faku. On Faku, right, yeah. So he comes in, he completely, like, hard foul. Faku's about to about to start a counterattack. He comes in, just completely sweeps his legs out. Does not go studs up, but he, it is a, a harder-than-necessary foul, and it is also a tactical foul, which I believe should have been a red because you basically have two yellow card offenses in one that adds up to a red, in my opinion. He gives a yellow. It's not an indefensible decision to give a yellow on that call, but it should have been, okay, you ha- you have this yellow, and this is your absolutely last warning. Like, no more fouls basically the rest of the game, or you're out. That's what it should have been. 
And then in the 60 something minute, I forget exactly what minute he had another hard foul from behind on Araujo and he got a warning. And at a certain point, like what does a guy got to do to get a red Herbert should have been out in my opinion in the 12th definitely should have been out in, I think it was the 69th or something, 68, 69 definitely should have been out then hundred percent because that was, it was from behind it was a hard foul. He didn't get any of the ball. Should have been a yellow card. Should have been out of there on two yellows. Make a red. 100%. Was, that, was that the one that was right after the ref kind of made it very obvious that he was like, that's it. No more fouls. Yeah. And then much, the next yeah. one was him, right? Yeah. And I, then the next one. And then, and then uh, Shakiri was, was the next night after that. He's like, oh, well, I didn't mean for Shakiri. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I, I think. And sorry if I cut you off and you weren't done, but I'm. Were you done actually? Uh, well, there was another one. Um, Duran was his name. Yeah, that was the, um, the elbow. Yeah, it elbowed Arujo again, <laughs> elbowed him in the face and only got a yellow for it, which that is hundred percent a red every time. That's literally the rule. If you hit someone in the face forcibly, you get a red card. So they should have been down to nine by I think that was closer to the eightieth. We should have had 10 minutes of, of 11 on 9. And honestly, almost the entire game of, of, of 11 on 10. So just that there. when So the overall bigger picture of this is when you let them play too much and there are just no consequences, then either team can just, anytime a promising attack starts up, just mug the other guy. And if you get a foul, fine, but you're not going to get a card for it until it's too late. And then the last... 10, 15 minutes become a card fest because the refs lost control of the game. But up until that point, you can just anytime either team gets any flow or momentum or anything, just completely stop that by just knocking the guy off the ball. And we saw several pushes in the back uncalled, some jersey tugs, some some of this just not getting called at all, which really it suited Chicago who were it suited the team who would have lost the game if it were a more free-flowing game because they were just able to, every time we got something to look good, just kind of stop it with unfair play. Yeah, so I, I'm i going to disagree with you on actually both that the things that you think were red, um, more so on the 13th-minute the one than the elbow. So the 13th minute one, I don't think is a red. I think it's just a really hard yellow. And I agree with your assessment of he should have gotten a yellow. And uh, hey, if you do another hard foul, you're off. And um, other than that, you see it's a tactical foul. You see those kind of hard fouls as tactical fouls only given as yellow. Very rarely would you see something like that given as a red, if ever. As for the elbow... I, I half get it because it's a it's the natural motion of the arm, but we have also seen elbows to the head given as red. So to me, it, it's kind of a gray area, um, and I, I don't know. Is that the natural motion of the arm? It is. Does it look like his arm extends a bit further than the natural thing, the natural way you jump? I'm doing the motion right now. It kind of does. I'd have to go back and look at it just one more time to make a definitive. Do I think that's a red or not? But it's an elbow to the head. You you see those as red, so we can feel a little bit of injustice, especially after what came before it. But I think what you were saying with the losing control of the match, that's spot on. I mean, 
the the thing is is there were a total of 35 fouls in the match 21 from chicago 14 from us and he did not recognize the referee the center referee did not recognize early enough that chicago's game plan was to foul was to get get a sloppy game to slow the game down not let orlando get into any sort of rhythm and he didn't punish them early enough. He gave out some yellow cards, but he really started with the yellow cards 70, 75th minute. That's too late when when um, the game plan is fouls. And so he allowed the match to be dictated by the fouls, and he didn't punish the team doing the crime sort of thing. So he did lose control because Orlando got frustrated, and that's... I mean, not even mentioning the call, which we're about to get to in a second. So I think the losing control of the match is spot on from you. Um, let's go ahead. I want to get your thoughts on the handball. Did you think it was a handball? I mean, there's no way to know if it was. Eric John Cara, of course, says it's not a handball. Um, he said yeah. in, in his media availability today. And there is absolutely no way to know. So I think the hand in question is not his his right arm because I think from the best angle that we saw, it pretty clearly hits like his between his shoulder. his shoulder and his chest. I think the hand in question is left, which was tucked against his body. And w- at which point, a even if it did hit his hand, it's not like he can chop his hand off. His hand is tucked against his body. There's nothing he can do about that. That's not a handball. Um. B, there's no definitive video of it. So even even if it did hit his hand, it was called as as no handball in the run of play. And there's no definitive video that shows it hitting his hand. So I don't know how you can call it a handball at all ever, VAR or not, because no one saw it hit his hand. So how can you... And there's not even like... It kind of, it obviously bounces off him, but you can't see whether or not it like bounces twice or anything, or the ball takes a weird angle. Like no, it just bounces off him, and he it takes the same path as if any player just chested it down. So there's no definitive evidence in any of the video angles available showing it hitting his hand. So I. It's it's an inexplicable call. There's no good reason or any reason for it. I I have struggled to, because you know how like when these things happen, you kind of try and see like what were they thinking, what was their reasoning. Yeah, I can't come up with anything. Usually I do, right? So you you go back to the 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 DK call, right? And and I could see why it was given as a foul, and I actually thought it was a foul, but like this one, I agree it. There's no way you can call that a handball based on the video footage that we saw. And I highly doubt I've been using this caveat. I've been saying if they saw another angle um, after they cut the TV cameras away that definitively show it's a handball, then that's fine. They should have kept the TV cameras on the VAR screen the whole time. I hate when they do that. You know how they cut away for the last like 10 seconds? Now, the thing is, is you can kind of see in the background the, the angle still on the, the video frame. And it looks like the same exact angle that they had been showing, which tells me that they didn't see a different video angle, which tells me that that caveat that I've been giving doesn't matter. 
it, it's they've had the same angle the whole time. That one from far out, it looks like it hits him in the shoulder. And then I don't know how you can call that clear and obvious. I really don't. And then the the ref was asked by a pool reporter um, to explain the call, basically. And he said, yeah, it's clear and obvious. <laughs> like, okay, trust me. Like, that's a trust me, bro, right there. Like, yeah, it was clear and obvious. I said so. Or, or whatever. So is there any possibility, Adam, and this would be an egregious misuse of VAR, but is there any possibility that the sideline ref saw the handball, didn't raise his flag, the ref went to VAR and he said, I saw a handball and just call it because it was a handball. Is there is there any possibility of that or do you think they just used VAR super incorrectly? You know, that would be in, in looking for our explanation. That would be one. It is obviously a very bad one, but at I, least if, if we're looking for how this happened, that might be the step-by-step step for, oh, shit, I missed a call. Hey, go to VAR. That was a handball. Trust me, bro. You yeah. know? <laughs> Which, no, don't do that. I, I think what this really is, is it just shows that you cannot trust MLS officiating. And we've seen it time and time again, the quality of officiating, or at least the accountability of officiating has to be better. Gonna happen. Like, let's let's go with that theory for a second. That's a mistake. That's a mistake of officiating. It happened. You just gotta let it go, man. You just gotta live with your you can't have makeup calls. The the or it or try to use a a um a tool to fix your call incorrectly. If yeah, it, it exists it, to overturn it, you can't. You straight up can't. Yeah, you can't say, okay, I'm gonna let that one go and then see what happens. Oh, it ends up in the back of the net. Okay, the video cameras will pick it up. Oh, the video cameras didn't pick it up. We have to call it anyway because it was definitely a handball from what I saw. Like, no, you just you can't do that. So obviously, we, that we don't know if that's what happened. And but to me, in my mind, that's literally the only explanation. And, even even if it did hit his hand, it's still technically not a handball by the rule, or at least arguably not a handball by the rule, because of the natural position part of the rule. Understanding that he cannot cut his arm off, as long as he's not intentionally hitting with his hand. If his hand's up against his body like it was, you treat the hand as an extension of the body. Just because it hits the hand doesn't mean it's a handball. That's a good point. I mean, he's got his arms into his chest. So like, and it doesn't help. I don't think it helps him control the ball. I mean, based on what we see, it doesn't even look like a handball. So no, it, it looks just like he chested it down. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've gone over that. We've, we've spent a decent chunk of time on, on refs. Let's get into the match itself again with the knowledge that it was a choppy game uh, with the knowledge that the ref uh, did, in our opinion, impact the final outcome. Um, I want to get your thoughts on our pressing early in the match. I thought we looked really good, and I, I want to hear your thoughts on on how we succeeded in pressing. Yeah, honestly, if with a little more clinicity, like clinicality, clinicity, being more clinical and goal. There you go. In front of goal, 
Honestly, we should have had two or three and not just relied on that one that was overturned. Um, ball doesn't bounce that way. Uh, Miguel Gallardo was saying because of the quality of the pitch at Soldier Field and the wind that day, and you could see, you could see if you were looking, if you look at any highlights from the game, if you look at like the banners from the supporters, they were whipping in the wind the entire game. So it, it was obviously a difficult game for maybe some of the longer passes or crosses that some of our players favor. Um, and for hitting more technical shots, you kind of had to almost get like a low screamer like Urso did or kind of pass it into the net um, to, to get something. So it was, it was a difficult game to score in to begin with. I think we, we did great coming out of both halves, honestly, with energy, which I think is a very intentional thing from Pereja that we're going to see this year and that we're going to start, Start each half with that that high high press, high intensity. Speaking of high press, did you see Antonio Carlos engaging in a high press off a throw-in? Like he was past past midfield. Was uh, it with Shabilko? Might have been Shabilko. We're gonna get to that. We're gonna get to that. We were we were um, following Shabilko everywhere he went. Yeah, but in, in to- well, Antonio Carlos they they had a throw-in on their own half. Antonio Carlos came all the way up from the back line to press the throw in. And we didn't create a turnover there. They actually managed to play out of that. But then Araujo just dropped deeper and covered him until he ran back. But I thought, I thought that was very awesome and intentional that we were trying to create pressure. And we did create some chances off that pressure. Nothing came of it, but we got in some good spots early in the game. I really, that one that, um, that where Ursel had that interception and it just kind of clanged off him back to the defender. I really will. Um, Cause that, that looked like honestly the best chance that could have been had. Um, but, but yeah, it was, it was good to see the energy out of both halves. The pressing was very cohesive. It wasn't disjointed. You saw that they were uh, working together th- uh, three players at a time to kind of tighten their, their grip on, on the the opposing shape uh, of the offense and kind of force them back and then create a turnover in in the final third and just see what happens. It's a solid strategy going forward and it is one that is repeatable. Yeah, I, I really liked this this pressing performance early on. We didn't really see a ton of it uh, throughout the whole match, but I'd say the first first thirty minutes is where we saw it the most. Um, the I felt that we were really doing it as a team, like you said, and doing what we talked about last week, Adam, pressing the passing lanes and not the ball carrier. Um, we we would make sure we had all the passing lanes cut off, and then we would start to put pressure on the ball carrier, and he would be then give the ball away. The difference between this match and the Montreal match is Chicago had more bodies back, and we also weren't as aggressive when we won the ball. And honestly, we we just had a couple of bad bounces. So the one you referenced with Urso, that was really uh, an unlucky bounce. Or Pato, he had a really bad touch. He blamed the ball, but I think it was just he had a bad touch or it popped up off the surface or something. Um, And then there was another instance where we got the ball back in a good position, but we just didn't go forward quick enough. We didn't turn and sprint at them. We decided to pass it around in their final third. They got the bodies back. They already had a, a lot of bodies back, and we weren't able to penetrate. So so while the pressing looked really good, we weren't getting any joy out of it. Um, 
so let's go ahead and talk about the thing that you referenced with Antonio Carlos. Um, their out ball was definitely trying to hit Shabilko on a long ball because he's good at hold up play. You put it in the air, he can bring it down. He can get it back to Shakiri and get the ball in behind uh, the defender who's following him. I thought we did a really good job of, of keeping Shabilko quiet in this match, um, even though we were following him around the pitch. And did you see that? Did you notice that, you know, between Schlegel and Carlos, oh, yeah. they were following him? Shabilko was a non-factor. Honestly, the entire back line played really well, uh, full back to full back. They were rock solid on defense. Uh, didn't really let up very many chances at all. Uh, Shabilko, who is a good player in this league, was unheard of <laughs> the entire match. Uh, and, and a special shout out to Cesar Araujo, who had Shakiri in his back pocket. If you notice, uh, I mean, Shakiri still got his licks in because he's a great player. But it was always like an awkward angle. There was one where he basically had to bicycle kick it to get a through ball in. Uh, he had to do everything deeper than yeah. he would have liked because oh, of Araujo. And then the the most of the times when he did connect on a good pass, it was because he got away from Araujo and, and someone else was marking him, like Pereira was marking him or something, or Urso. When he when he was on, I think he only beat Araujo like once or twice the entire match, which for a how old is he? Like twenty. Yeah, I mean, twenty-year-old in, in a new league. Second, that is a, an incredibly impressive performance. He, he looked calm on the ball, and, and I love that Arujo when he gets the ball has one objective, and that's to get it to a playmaker. He's immediately looking for ten, seven, or seventeen, and that's yeah. where he goes with the ball. Yeah, and I think um, I want to say I'm trying to find it here. Matt Doyle in Matt Doyle's column, he brought up. Um, Araujo, oh, it's it's somewhere. I think Miguel Gallardo tweeted about it. He doesn't tweet a lot, so I'll be able to find it. I'm almost there. Oh, he, what the heck? Oh, he must have retweeted it. I'm going to find it here in just a moment. Here it is. Matt Doyle said, one thing worth noting, though, Orlando Cesar Araujo is maybe the most impressive newcomer, newcomer this, thus far this season. The young Uruguayan has taken the starting number six, um, and the early vibes from him are just so Beckerman-esque. He doesn't put a foot wrong with his reads, will crunch you in a tackle, and seems to be promising at moving the ball to valuable spots for his team. Um, if you're getting looks from, from Matt Doyle this early, you're doing something right. You know, you're, you're doing something right. And we were definitely going to get to him, so, so let's talk about him now. Uh, I mean, are you surprised to see him given this role so early? As the lone six, I mean, it's always been four two three one for for Pereja in Orlando. I never envisioned him starting us in a four three three, but that's exactly what we're doing, and it's all because of Araujo. Um, I yeah, I'm extremely surprised that he has taken that position and run with it. Typically, for several reasons. Uh, one, you know how highly I rate Sebas and that he seems to have taken Zebos spot in, in the starting lineup is shocking to me. Um, Cause Zebos was playing the six at an extremely high level. I get that he had international duty and he's injury prone and, and whatnot, but I, I thought he was doing fantastic there. Arujo has made the position his own in his own style. 
And I think he's been more, uh, Sabas has been more of a, I would say a creative six in that he would want to play combo plays and kind of outsmart defenders a little bit. And he was a little more of a destroyer. Whereas uh, Araujo is just the, the classic, like he'll, it's not like he won't crunch a tackle cause he will, but he's just so steady getting, winning the ball back, you know, staying in front of the ball in front of his, his, uh, his attacker when he's on defense. And then when he gets the ball, he just shuttles it to a creative player and is always looking to pass forward. He's not necessarily looking to beat three lines or anything like Sebas would, but, but he, he's just so steady and just doing his job. He, it looks like he's like a 28 year old player, not, not a 20 year old player. And also that Pereja has the trust in Araujo to play an extremely important position like that at such a young age and with such a lack of experience in MLS and just with Orlando city in general is a testament to how incredible of a, a person he must be in order to like blend in with the team that quick pick up the system because he's not missing reads, you know, like Torres is missing some reads. Pato's missing some reads. Adarujo isn't. <laughs> and I get, I get that those reads are, are harder for the attacking players because they're, they're tasked with more creative burden, but Adarujo is just getting the ball and he's putting in the right spot every time. Yeah. And to your point about him see, seeming like a 28 year old instead of a 20 year old, I do remember reading up that he's a very like humble uh, comes from humble beginnings, um, isn't cocky type type player. Um, and, and he's been kind of, I think I, I heard that he's been like prepared by his family to be like a professional soccer player all his life. Like they've been like getting him dietitians and getting him in the gym and like getting him all the necessary steps to succeed. And he is mainly focused on that goal. And you can kind of see that work. Um, being that that all that work kind of coming to fruition now and and he's had a great start i am going to put a little bit of a damper on things we it is two games in um there was really not a lot of tape of on him at all so teams didn't really know what he was all about as we get into the season more teams are going to start to see his weaknesses wherever they may be and, and they're going to try try and attack that um, so it's it's again, it's all about kind of what you said last week, the chess match that is th- the entire season. Um, how are we gonna adapt to when they 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 uh, they key in on on Cesar Araujo and how does he deal with that? Because um, all eyes are gonna be on him. Now next week he, he's against a, a Cincinnati team who created a, a, a good amount of chances in D.C. and actually created a decent amount of chances against Austin, too. Um, we're going to do the Cincinnati preview in a little bit, but how is he going to deal with that, this, this Cincinnati team who have created chances and just haven't put the ball in the back of the net yet? So, uh, yeah, going to put a little bit of a damper on him. Only been two games, but still insanely impressed with what we've seen so far. And on to the next topic. You kind of mentioned it there. Facundo Torres. Um, what do you, what have your thoughts been on his performance against Chicago mainly? And I guess we can spread it out to the first two games overall, but his, his performance in this match. 
I mean, it, it's exactly what I expected out of him in that he looks like a very, very, very talented individual player because he is one. And he also looks like a player that is very new to the, the squad, the country, the league, and doesn't have chemistry with his teammates yet. And he also looks like someone that has name recognition that opponents can circle, hey, this guy, they just spent $10 million on him. Let's not let him destroy us. <laughs> you know, and and because it was very clear that Chicago made a concerted effort. Every time he got the ball, someone was right on him. That they were like, We're not gonna let Fakutoras beat us. And he had to, he almost did pull out some spectacular uh trickery uh on one or two occasions, but he's going to have to learn how to play within the system to get open more before he can truly unleash his potential. And and that's exactly what what we said in our season previews. In that, I thought he would one that I thought he would start scoring goals because before he started assisting a lot, because that scoring goals is a much more individual thing, whereas assisting is going to be relying on chemistry with his teammates. And two that it would probably take him about ten games before we start start to see him really get the hang of things and really see the Faku that we've been waiting for and expecting. So I'm not concerned, but I'm not surprised either. What are your thoughts on this role he's been given where he's on the right, but he's really got license to roam as he sees fit. Again, also not surprising. Uh, it, especially given the other two creative players that we have on the field uh, in, in Pereira and Pato, and that it would be a waste if any of the three of those players had a specific position they were expected to stay in. And in the best teams, we've seen New England do it. Um, the the best Man City teams did it. Um, the, the best teams have multiple creative outlets that are creative players that move around the pitch and attack from different positions. And we have when you have a player like Torres who has all the tools in his toolbox, you need to move him around, and that's exactly what Pereja's doing with him. And once he he gets more comfortable, we're going to see the dividends from it. Uh, yeah, I like that answer. I think that's the key. He needs to get more comfortable in it. For me right now, he's he's drifting into other people's spaces. He's, he's drifting at the wrong times. Um, he's showing up on the left um, when Benji's over on the left. He... he He's, um, I don't know, just part of me feels that I, we're, we're probably going to see the fruits of these struggles later on in the season, but part of me feels a little bit more structure for him specifically stay out on that right side might have been, or, or he might be contributing more now. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like, yeah, just I don't know. I think he's trying a little bit too hard to, to get involved and I understand it. But for example, there, there's a, um, in the 15th, 13th something minute, um, early in the match, uh, we hadn't really had any great attacks. We had pressed well, but through our own play, we hadn't really had many attacks. And I think we press and we win the ball back and he is running at, or he gets the ball in like that zone 14 ish area. And instead of taking the ball and running at the defenders for the first time, I think in the league, he's had a chance to run at defenders. 
he stops and takes a long shot. And it's like, those are the things that he needs to, to get better at. Um, if we're going to see some improvement from him. Uh, so, so a little bit of frustration there for me, but do you see what, kind of what I'm talking about? Yeah. And, and it might be better now, but honestly, we should have won this game. We did win the last game. I think Pereja is making an educated bet that if he lets Torres work through the growing pains now, uh, especially when the schedule starts to get more difficult, we got a nasty road trip ahead of us. Uh, after Cincy, the next 10 games or so are all against difficult opponents. Um, so, and not that Cincy is exactly a cakewalk it used to be, but more difficult than Cincy is coming up. Um, mm-hmm. So I, th- I think he's made that, that educated, uh, educated guess that we can still pick up points now while letting Torres work through it. And, try to get that best version of him as early as possible. Because if you keep him clamped down on that right side a little more, yes, the team will work better now, but it, you're not going to see that payoff later when, when teams start to figure it out. Cause we saw last season picked up a bunch of points early because we had this very foundational way we played and everything was very structured and that worked at the beginning of the season when everyone was just trying to th- figure things out and we were going against teams that were still building their chemistry and then we fizzled out towards the end of the season because there just wasn't enough quality there and teams had figured their own shit out and and structure can only go so far yeah and that that kind of goes to um what what I was saying about and what you just said about um the uh the short term the short term would be helpful if he was more structured, I think. But long term, we're going to see the fruits of this this struggle. Um, and and make no mistake at all that the number one goal of Oscar Preha and this team and the entire organization this year is silverware. Mm-hmm. That that is goals one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, and then eleven might be pick up three points against Chicago in game two. <laughs> You know, eleven might be um, Im- improve the young players that we have. Exactly, it, it, and so yes, maybe we maybe he might have created one more good chance on the right side, and maybe gotten out of the way of someone else to create a chance or whatever. This it, maybe we would have won the game. We should have won the game anyway. Honestly, yeah. someone else like Pato should have done better with his chances. Mm-hmm. Uh, what if that ball had bounced better for Urso? What if a lot of things? I right. don't think you can pin this squarely on Nor was anyone trying to pin this squarely on, on Torres. It, it's exactly what we, we what we thought might happen, and it's happening, and you're just going to have to be patient. Yep. And then uh, I think the one of the last topics I wanted to talk about before we get into previewing the, the match that's coming up um, is, is I've seen some frustration – for the way we kind of came at this game kind of timid we weren't aggressive um and almost i felt we were going for the one zero and i wanted to get your thoughts on is this a sustainable go for one zeros on the road and if if we get the goal then then that's good but then there's always the the chance that var takes it away from you unfairly so like what, what where do you balance those those um 
tactical adjustments of going for the one nail, the, 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 um, what is it? The poppy special? I can't remember what it's called. Um, yeah, that would be it. Yeah. So going Although for the I, one nail I, versus going for, for more goals and I disagree that this open. was an attempted poppy special. I thought we came out of the gates flying, especially in the first 15 minutes. Uh, when you're on the road, you cannot, unless you're going to be New England and control every single aspect of the game last year, and then they were still burnt out by the time they got to the playoffs, um, or NYCFC and control everything on your tiny pitch, which <laughs> then on the road doesn't work anyway, and they're shit on the road. Um, so really, unless unless you're you are going to control every single aspect of the game, which we do not have the players to do. I don't think any team in MLS does. Then you can't be as aggressive on the road as you are at home. Just there are so many factors against you. There's the unfamiliar territory. Um, you know, you're you've traveled. You're not sleeping in your own bed. There's the however good you might be at blocking them out. There's the jeers and everything from opposing fans. There's the unfamiliar pitch that you're not used to playing on. The dimensions, the way the ball bounces, all that. You're just not as comfortable on the road, so you got to pick your spots. So Pereja said, okay, we're going to come out in a high press. We're going to be aggressive. We're going to create chances in the first 15, 20 minutes, and then we're going to let off a bit and see what we can do on the counter. And that's exactly what they did. And they had two or three good opportunities in those first 20 minutes, and nothing came of them. Oh, well. Did the same thing in the second half. You know, Came out in that high press again, put on Tesho for Benji, which I thought was actually a good sub. It was. I thought um, so, too. I saw in like some group chats and on Twitter at the time a little bit that would be like Tesho already. It, um, I think Westerner or Gallardo on, on the broadcast had a good point that it was not necessarily a tactical sub, but a leg sub and that Tesho is, is good at pressing and Benji was starting to get a little bit tired. Maybe, maybe the plan was all along Benji. Hey, when you're, when your legs start to go, we're putting in Tesho just to keep pressing like a goddamn demon on that side. Because and I will say, um, I, I was going to ask about it, but just quickly, like, touch on it. I wasn't really going to go too, too in, in, in depth on it. Um, I thought we improved when Tesho came on the field. I thought we had our best I, chances I thought, when he came on. I think that I don't think that was necessarily because of Tesho, just because that left wing uh, is not really that involved in. No, but he helped us win the ball back right now, better. But he, is, he, did, he did very well with his pressing. And I and I thought that was honestly because he was fresh going against tired legs at that point, and he's a very very good presser. Um, that that is honestly one of his best qualities. So I thought that was an intelligent substitution that we did early in the second half. And people thought it was too early, but it was intelligent substitution to come out of the gate strong in the second half and try to get a cheap goal. I'm Not sorry, you're ever- telling me. I'm sorry, I keep cutting you off. You're telling me people thought it was too early wasn't the big shtick with pareja yeah. that he would sub too late last season oh no but it was tesho so you got to complain okay fair enough sorry keep going i'm sorry i'm okay. sorry just had a so but it was very intelligent of him to try and because not every goal if it, it there's this idea of cheap goals but no one ever talks about expensive goals expensive goals are one of those ones like you got the 15 pass sequence that looks really pretty and everyone's like oh it's a great team goal and it gets replayed on twitter a million times or a star has an individual moment of brilliance. They got like a curler into the top corner. Those are expensive goals. I like cheap goals. I like you put on Tesho in the 50th minute. He gets a turnover, and then two passes later, it's in the back of the net. Because those count just the same. 
And Pereja, that's where coaching comes in because coaching buys cheap goals. And that was Pereja trying to buy a cheap goal there. And then we got, it's not like we shut it down after that. It's just, you can't, and we've seen with those Red Bulls teams over the years, especially the Marsh Red Bulls teams, even they couldn't press the entire game and they were trained for it. It, You got to let up the press at some point. You got to pick your spots. So after that 20 minutes was up about, you know, it was like, okay, we can't press like this anymore. We're going to tie ourselves out. Then, then you let up your own cheap goal because you're tired and you have to run back and you can't quite get there. And then, you know, a, a couple lucky bounces or so takes a shot. It gets deflected. It's in the net. We should have won one. nil. but it, that it wasn't like that was the only chance that was created in the game. And then we had a couple others that if they had felt a little better after that could have, could have gone better, but they didn't. Oh, well, I don't think it was a poppy special. I think it was just, it was, it was again, very windy. The field was in bad condition, all the fouling and the refereeing that mishaps that happened that contributed to being more of a choppy game. But I thought as far as the coaching decisions go, they were intelligent about the spots where they picked to be aggressive and it actually kind of worked. The ball just didn't end up in the back of the net. Yeah. Legally, apparently. Um, (laughs) so I will say to that, um, and maybe it's just the way that that Chicago's tactics were against us. Um, it felt to me like he was going for the one zero, but now, now that you kind of explain that out, I do kind of, I can see the point where it's like all of those factors kind of contributed to the fact, to the match staying zero, zero to us having to pick our moments because of the way Chicago were playing having to to um be be uh, smart like you were saying so is that so let's just let's just assume for a second that it, he was going for it we've now agreed that we don't think he was going for the 1-0 do you think that going for a 1-0 on the road throughout a season is a smart tactic I don't know, nor I think if you at if you asked Oscar, Oscar Preya point blank if he goes for one nils, I think he would say no. It, it, he, honestly, I think he would say no. I, I think if he gave an honest answer, it would be no. Do I think that his tactics sometimes set up to where that happens a lot? Yes, because he favors defensive solidity. We we know he loves a good defense and in he, he, his philosophy is very much. Let's not let up our goals in our own net. And then we can worry about offense. Not that he's going to ignore offense, but if he doesn't have a solid defense, that's what he's going to focus on first. So he is going to set up his team. So, so the opposing team doesn't get a lot of good chances, which has worked very well in two shutouts so far in the first two games. And then sometimes he'll play counterattacking football. And, and when that happens, one nil is a common scoreline, but to say that he wants to shut it down after one goal, I don't think we've seen that, Uh, especially when we scored early. I think we've seen the team press for two and three and after three, they shut it down. Um, and sometimes after two, if it's like we, if we're up two and like the 75th, then we start to shut it down. But I, I don't think we see him intentionally go for the one nil a lot, unless it's a situation that really calls for like, Hey, a draw is fine here. 
maybe it's a midweek game and it's a tough stretch and it's a tough opponent and we're just going to, and we're resting some starters and we're just going to try to shut down from, from minute zero. That's different. But I think just a general, like one match a week road game, I don't think that's what he goes for. Yeah. So that that's fair. Um, I do like your, your point about the tactics and how it, it could lead to it looking like he's going for a one zero. Um, I will say I personally, if he were to go for one, though, right. If he were to be, okay, we're going to really make sure our defense is solid. We're going to play on the transition. Um, we're going to pick and choose our moments and, and hope we get the one zero on the road in MLS. I'm perfectly fine with that. The whole idea of MLS is win your home games, do your best on the road. You'll make playoffs. And then anything happens in playoffs, right? So that's the, that's the whole idea. Now, no team, no team is New England Revolution last season, right? Like that's clearly un, un, not seen before because they were the best team ever. Like they were good at home and on the road. And even they had a, a, um, a slightly rough uh, away record. And... I have seen some frustration as well at our lack of wins on the road in general, especially last season and the season before. But Evan brought up a good point on the um, the broadcast. He said that we had the second best away record last season. Now, maybe that's from the early season where we were, you know, playing well. But then again, I remember going to Red Bulls and losing, going to Chicago and losing. So like, even when it, we're perceiving that we're not playing well on the road, last season we had the second best road record. So, like, teams don't win on the road often. It's not a common thing in this league. And it's just something that I feel like by now we should be used to. And I think going for one zeros on the road, while it's not fun to watch, they're ugly matches. It, it's nice to see your team pick up points on the road. <laughs> Like, I'm just glad we didn't lose this match, you know? So I, I think it is a viable solution. Um, do you have any final thoughts on that? No, I think that's uh, all very fair points to bring up. I, I would just say his philosophy, I think he would disagree with you just based on him being a competitor. But I think overall, if you look at it analytically, then yes. If, you, if you're set up to where your average is going to be 1-0-0-0 or 1-1, you're doing you're doing pretty well in MLS, and and that's a fine thing to be. I mean, yeah, look at Nashville. <laughs> um, all right, so let's finish off with some Cincinnati preview. Um, they have created quite a few good chances against both Austin and DC, but Cincinnati always find a way to lose, um, and that's exactly what they did against DC, giving up a 96th minute penalty to uh, for a handball. Um, are you, how confident are you that we're going to come away with the three points at home against Cincinnati? Oh, we have to. The, well, we have is, to, I'd, I'd say it's a must win. Are it is confident? a must win. Yeah, I would say so. I, I think we're more talented than them. We have better defense. We have better midfield. Uh, we have better offensive players, better coaching. It's it not. It's not the cakewalk that Cincinnati used to be, but they're still a lower tier team in the league. We are at home, as we just discussed, the home team should win. If Orlando City is for real this season, 
They need to beat bad teams. That was something we struggled with last season. You brought it up again. We lost to Chicago, lost to Red Bulls, like neither of whom were good teams last season. Uh, We need to beat the bad teams and pick up those points to stay in the shield race or to lock up that playoff seating early and get a home playoff game, maybe two home playoff games, you know, increase our chances of going further in the playoffs uh, by picking up those points early against bad teams because all those points add up the same, which is, yes, the, the draw against Chicago isn't the end of the world, but those two points will be what we might look look back later in the season like oh those two points were nice to have um and especially if you look at the schedule after since coming up it gets pretty brutal especially with a uh, a really brutal west coast road trip coming up um so yeah must win should win i'm confident that they will do it because i do think this team is for real and if they are for real they will win Yep. We're looking at after Cincinnati, we've got away to Galaxy, away to Portland, home to LAFC, home to Chicago, away to Columbus, home to Red Bull. So, like, you're right. That's a brutal run. There's not a single easy fixture in there. Um, some of them are winnable, but uh, anticipate some dropped points. <laughs> That's all I'll say. Anticipate some dropped points. Um what what's your prediction for the match? Um, I think we're due to give up a goal. I don't think we'll give up more than one to them, just because I think our midfield will dominate theirs. Um, but I they have been playing a uh, four diamond two. I want to say so. Yeah, I don't know if that's a guarantee. It's a it's a quality thing though. I th- I I think our midfield is really really strong. Um, especially. Go ahead. If we if we line up with Arujo Pereira or so again, I, I feel like the quality is there that our midfield will will even if they have one more guy, I think that we'll be able to play through them, especially with Pato dropping in and Torres dropping in, um, and, and Janssen back up making those runs. I think we missed Janssen. We didn't touch on this at all. Um, we definitely missed Janssen being like. We always talk about like a forward outlet, but he's kind of a backwards outlet. If we're not really finding a way through, sometimes you just give it to Janssen. He hits a long ball or he'll progress it himself because um, he kind of makes that run where the center back isn't accounted for. So having him back will help. I just I just think I think that we get the better of the ball. I think 3-1, three, 2-3, three, two or 3-1. Um, it should be a comfortable, even if it's 2-win, I think it's a comfortable 2-1-win. But I, I do think they'll nab one against us just because the, their chances should pay off at some time and we're due to give one up. Though um, three clean sheets to start the year would be incredible. Yeah, it really would be. Um, yeah, for me, midfield is, is a numbers thing more than a quality thing when it, it comes to defending midfield. When it comes to going through their midfield, I, I think we would be able to play through it if we're starting Urso Pereira and Araujo, which I think we will. I don't see why we wouldn't. Um, but defending it, they're going to have the extra man. So I, I feel a little worried about that personally. Um, but I am going to go with a... I think I'm going to go with a 2-1. I think you're right with the goal. Um, I'm that, that we're due a goal to concede... Um, we haven't really been giving up too many clear-cut chances, though. The only one I can really think of is... Um, 
Or did Montreal have a, a big one that they missed? No. No, I don't think they did. No, we shut them down pretty good. We shut them down. Uh, it well, was, they, um, they had a few they had a few that were offside, but Oh, they, that's what it was. And yeah. so so did Chicago. Honestly, that that's what worries me a little bit is that offside trap we're relying kind of heavily on it right now. Yeah, that's true. Because we're we're playing a high line for the press, and then part of playing that high line is you need to you need to be straight, and you need to if a guy gets through, he needs to be offside. Mm-hmm. The good thing is, is we have El Pulpo back there to help out. Um, I don't, has we, he has he let one in like one of those offside like because they always take the shot. Has he let one in? I don't think so. No, I don't think he has. I I don't think he has. No, I will He's say um. Chicago did create a, a, a decent chance uh, at the death um, last match. It was a, a cross from the right side from Shakiri, and it was a header from Shabilko, um, who headed it over. But like again, the, but that that's was really it. Players. Yeah, and, and it's very individualistic. Since he, correct me if I'm wrong, since he doesn't have any players that are the quality of Shakiri or Shabilko. Uh, not really. I'd say Luciano Costa's decent, but maybe he's definitely not Shakiri. Um, and then they've got Don Baji up top, who's again decent, but I wouldn't say Shiboko. So like they're 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 good. They're going to create. They've been creating chances. It's just going to be a matter of them not finishing them, us not allowing them, and us putting away our chances. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with a two-one win for us. And I think that just about does it. Adam, thank you for, for finally getting on with me. I appreciate it. Um, sorry this is coming out so late in the week, guys. Uh, Adam, you have an announcement to make. Oh, yeah. Um, the uh, first Cappy's Food Truck official Not at Cappy's event is going to be well, today, for a lot of you listening to this, it's going to be Thursday, March 10th at the Commission Beer Chamber. Um, from We're starting serving at 6 p.m. It's a really cool bar. It's uh, They play a lot of classic hip-hop there. Uh, they got a lot of cool outdoor seating. They got they, like, dance floor inside. They got a lot of cool local craft beer selections. Uh, it's a really awesome place, um, and the Cappy's Food Truck will be there. So... Uh, if you are uh, listening to this podcast literally tomorrow <laughs> or today and thinking, oh, I-, I wanted to go out tonight, maybe go there. It's in the Hourglass District. It's on Curry Ford, uh, kind of um, near-ish downtown, but not quite near, not quite in downtown. So it's a uh, it's a uh, a great place. And then we are also going to be at the Kinda Sorta Market. It is a farmers market this Sunday uh march 13th and uh, that is going to be in the lot next to track shack and wills pub on uh on mills so that is going to be uh, a more family friendly event and that's going to be a lot of fun i anticipate and we'll be there too so come out and see us uh in the cappy's food truck at those and you can follow for updates on um, future events at Cappy's Food Truck on Twitter or Instagram. Or if you want to hear my personal opinions on things, which I guess if you listen to this podcast, you somewhat care about that, though I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow me at Kosher Taco Truck on Twitter. Uh, 
for Instagram. I was going to say, why would they want to do that? <laughs> but then they'd listen to us. <laughs> apparently, yeah, apparently. Um, yeah, thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate it. And go check like it out. Whole multiple of you people do this. I, I don't get it. <laughs> week in, week out, too. It's amazing. I Honestly, I'm really happy with, with what we've done, Adam, in terms – Adam and, and – Daniel and Chase, um, the Lions blog crew. Um, we really appreciate it. It's something I'm really proud of and I, I really enjoy doing. So thank you to all the listeners. Um, thank you, Adam, for all your help. Da- Daniel and Chase as well, who are absent tonight. Um, you can find me, obviously, at Lions blog one. Go check out that Cappy's food truck. They make some great, great food. I'm going to try and be there tomorrow night for you, Adam. Um, and I'll just finish off with a, a good old Vamos Orlando. Vamos. And well, I guess we got to do the new hashtag is Dali Me Amor. Oh. Dali Me Amor. All right, we're not doing that again. Nope. All right. Good night, y'all. <laughs> Man in MLS!